If you're not used to using a Bible, you can find Psalm 70 on page 453 in the Black Pew Bibles in the seats around you. Psalm 70 is, depending on how you want to count it, either the third to last or second to last psalm of book two. And so we are nearing the end of our series in book two of the Psalms. And as I mentioned last week, for those of you that want to read and study ahead, in February we will turn our attention from the Psalms to the New Testament and study the book of 1 Peter, which will take us through the spring and into the early summer. Before I read Psalm 70, I want to share a little paragraph from a book I recently read by a Christian philosopher, teaches at Calvin College in Michigan. And he has a book that he recently came out with in 2022 about time. And he has an interesting comment about disorientation in the opening introduction. James Smith writes, We usually think of being disoriented as a matter of being displaced, as in a confusion about where we are. You know the cliche from several films. Someone wakes up from some kind of trauma and asks, where am I? But the truth is, disorientation can be temporal, too. When our time is out of joint, as Hamlet put it. When this happens, we are dislocated. You awake from a morning with a strange haze of barely being aware. It takes several beats to remember, what, what day is it? Is it Friday? Is it Saturday? Depending on how many beats intervene, anxiety can arise from a temporal kind of vertigo. There are many ways to be disoriented by time, even the the glitch of that moment of deja vu, or a time warp of going back home again. Sometimes we default to a spatial question for what is, at root, temporal disorientation. When I experience the early morning temporal fog, I might ask myself, where am I? Even the unvoiced question, though grammatically strange, really should be, when am I? I read this selection because I want to ask that question. When am I? When are you? On the basis of asking the question, when is David? in Psalm 70. Not where is he, when is he? As we turn our attention to Psalm 70, I think you will notice the repeated use of words that alert you to time. So let's read God's word, starting with verse 1, superscription to the choir master of David for the memorial offering. Make Haste, O God, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let them be put to shame and confusion who seek my life. Let them be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Let them turn back because of their shame who say, Aha, aha, may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say evermore, God is great. But I am poor and needy. Hasten to me, O God. You are my help 
and my deliverer. O Lord, do not delay. And this ends our reading of Psalm 70 and God's holy, inspired, and errant word. And my prayer is that he will teach you to pray with holy impatience. For in fact, if I were to sum up Psalm 70 in a teaching sermon like I'm about to give to you, Psalm 70 teaches and instructs us how to pray with holy impatience. What I mean by that, I'll break into two questions that will make two points for this instruction of Psalm 70. What do I mean, holy impatience? Well, what do we mean by the question, when is David? When is David praying Psalm 70? And the answer is when he needs help. When he needs deliverance. Now! Was that obvious to you? Short psalm, five verses. Verse 1, make haste, O God, make haste. Verse 5, I am poor and needy. Hasten to help me. You are my help and my deliverer. O Lord, do not delay. Lesson number one. Based on the question, when is David praying? A prayer of holy impatience is a prayer about desperate urgency for God. Learning how to pray prayers of holy impatience is learning how to pray with a sense of desperate urgency for God, for his glory, for his agenda, his timetable. When is David? David is in need. He needs help. He turns to God. And he calls God his helper. Do you see the contrast between the repetition of verse 1, hasten, and the repetition in verse 5, hasten. Come quick. Do it quick, God. But notice also the repetition of help. I need help. Verse 5, you are my help. In fact, ladies, this is the same exact word. The first time it appears is in Genesis chapter 2. God looked at man by himself in a garden. Lots of animals that he just named, but there was no helper fit for that man. So God made him a helper. Anyone find that word derogatory? Helper. It's only because of your own modern conceptions of the word, not because of the way the word's used in the Bible. Ladies, if you would like to elevate your sense of value and worth based on God's created design, realize that that word appears once in Genesis 2 and every other time it appears, it talks about God himself. Perhaps your role as helper in not just marriage, but in humanity as a whole is to reflect as image bearers the help that only God could provide. Brothers, we need help. It is not good for us to be alone. Not just in marriage, but in church life. Whether we're married or single, we need the help of ladies. Amen? Men, amen? We need help. We need all kinds of help. David needs help. God is his help. He is his, the Hebrew word is ezer, 
E-Z-E-R, Ezer. Ladies, you're an Ezer because there's something that you can provide men that they cannot provide on their own. That's the point. The first command God gave to humans is to be fruitful and multiply. Men, be fruitful and multiply on your own without a woman. You need help. It's much, much more than that, ladies, but it is not less than that. Humanity does not exist without the help of women, and you will not get the help you need in life or in death without the help of God. That's the concept. It is not God your butler, helper. It is not God the little assistant that helps daddy, little helper. It is not the helping hand. Well, I can almost carry it. Can you give me a hand? It is when you come to the end of yourself, when we're talking about matters of life and death, like David is in verse 2. Those who are seeking his life is the kind of help he needs. And you and I, whether we want to realize it or not, find ourselves as humans in this world full of sin and death needing help. We are desperate for God's help. And him and him alone can be the kind of helper for when you die. In the most ultimate sense, Psalm 70 instructs us how to pray when you need urgent help. And friends, whether your help is small right now that you need, small problems, one day you will have a big problem. And that problem will be who will help you when you're lying in the grave. Poor and needy, David calls himself in verse 5. When is David in a state of poverty and desperate need? The king who is the wealthiest man in the kingdom is declaring, I am utterly poor and needy. There can be a kind of poverty in a soul state, even with all the wealth of the world. And some of you know this far too well because you've gotten all the money that you could imagine and you're empty. And in a much greater sense, all of us will not take our money or our righteousness down to the grave to do any help to rise us from the dead. David's deliverance here is a picture of ultimate salvation. We need help. When is David is an important question. A man in desperate need, and you, my friends, also find yourself in a world where you are in desperate need. Spiritually poor, bankrupt, and needy. Before long, death will be knocking on your door. And for each of us in this room who have become a Christian, who have turned from our sins, put our faith and our hope and our trust in God in urgent prayer more often than not is because we've come to a sense of desperation, the end of oneself. Have we heard not time and time again in our Christian life and in this church stories of I hit rock bottom. There was nothing left I could do. I had nowhere else to turn. Brothers and sisters, if you're a Christian, you know what that looks like, feels like. You know when you were, when you had nothing but God. If you're here today and you are not a Christian, whether you're a young child that's stuck around and you're in the church service instead of class, you're a guest or visitor, welcome. 
May this simple but profound truth be something that you can take home. The Bible is about providing you the help that only God can provide. And you're in desperate need of it. You need it now. Do not delay. Don't wait till tomorrow. You need this right now. You need God. So, I encourage all of us to think about our sense of when we are, when our soul and our life is in a state of urgent desperation. And the good news is, as our psalm says, those who seek God will rejoice and will be glad because they will love his salvation and say continually, there's that time word again, continually, evermore, day after day, God is great. You realize that being a Christian, being a follower of God and turning to him in prayer is because you first turned to God and said, God, help. I can't do it. I can't save myself. I can't earn my salvation. I cannot do enough good works. I cannot go to enough church services. I cannot give enough money. The gospel is about becoming poor and needy in soul and spirit, recognizing that that's in fact the way we were born into this sinful world. But in the same way that verse 4 says, there will be those who rejoice and be glad and declare the greatness and the love that they have for God's salvation, that offer extends to each of us as New Testament Christians. Because Jesus Christ experienced the same kind of urgent need for help. When Sergi came up and read for us in Mark's gospel, did you notice the way that as he was hanging on the cross, being crucified, Jesus had people mocking and scorning him and saying the exact words you see here in Psalm 70. Aha! Aha! Mocking, rejoicing, delighting in Jesus' demise. Jesus is by far the greater David who did not just pray for deliverance and ask for help because people were seeking his life, but he's the one who was in the garden and said, God, save me from this, and heard nothing in reply. Take this cup from me. Not my will, but yours be done. Which led him straight to a cross. Where Psalms 70 becomes fulfilled in the person of Christ, where he is shamed, where people seek his life, delight in his hurt, and laugh at him. Because of Jesus Christ's death on the cross, the greater David, who was rich, became poor for our sakes, so that we might be rich, rich in salvation, rich in deliverance from our death. In the same way that Jesus laid down dead in the grave and in and of himself as a physical human being could do nothing but the power of the Holy Spirit, God Almighty raised him from the dead. In the same way that Christ was risen from the dead, you and I can have hope that this salvation is so great that it's not just a deliverance from a momentary trouble but from the trouble of all troubles, death, the greatest enemy that remains. So, be impatient, like a holy impatience. Not impatience about what you want to accomplish, but set aside all of your agendas and calendars and stop in your tracks right now and meditate on the ways that you need God to help you in ways that you cannot help yourself. Do not delay. 
put your faith in him right now and throughout the Bible time and time again, the promise is those who would trust and believe they will be saved in the same moment. Your holy impatience of praying with urgency, God save now, will be in the greatest sense delivered, answered. God comes through on that prayer. So pray it and pray it again and again. Not because it didn't take the first time, but because just like our psalm, this is a kind of prayer that one prays in little moments, big moments, the first moment they become a Christian, and all through their life. Which brings us to lesson number two. When is David? When is David praying Psalm 70? I believe the answer is as an old man, right before he's about to die. Now, why do I believe that? Several very good reasons. So here's the lesson. I'll give you the lesson. I will explain my rationale, and then we will apply why this lesson is especially helpful for so many of us. Here's a lesson. A prayer of holy impatience is a prayer that must be prayed again and again. When you're young and when you're old, not just once, but many times. When did David pray? When he was an old man. When did David pray this prayer? When he was a young man. Well, which one is it? Both. If you listened very carefully, Alice came up, read for us Psalm 40. And in Psalm 40, almost very, very close, word for word, is Psalm 70. Psalm 40 is the back half is Psalm 70. One and the same. So read the end of Psalm 40 and notice the way that David has prayed these words before when he was a young man. Now, I say that because by the context of Psalm 40, I think David is talking about the need for deliverance when he has Saul chasing him. I think that he is praying for deliverance again, not when he's a young man, but when he's an old man, because this psalm is connected with Psalm 71. So in your Bibles, if you still have them open, you should see that Psalm 71 has no title above it in all capital letters, often called a superscription. It just dives right in. In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. And generally when this happens, the consensus idea is that Psalm 70 and Psalm 71 are actually together in some form or fashion. And when you study them together, you realize that they are meant to be together, read as almost one psalm. It might have been fitting, actually, to just take Psalm 70 and Psalm 71 and do one sermon on the whole thing. There's several repeated words and key concepts. And let me point out one of them that's especially obvious. Look at verses 12 and 13 of Psalm 70. Of Psalm 71, that is. O God, be not far from me, Oh my God, make haste to help me. Where have we seen God make haste, help me? Psalm 70, verse 1. It's almost a word-for-word repetition. But then, look at verse 13. May my accusers be put to shame and consumed. With scorn and disgrace may they be covered, those who seek my hurt. And this is almost word-for-word the repetition of verse 2. 
several key words and concepts, and this is just one example of several key words, but these are the most concentrated of them that show, ah, we're still talking about the same idea, and it's almost as if it's the same psalm. And then when we read Psalm 71 in its full context, we realize that David is an old man. Look at verse 9 of Psalm 71. Do not cast me off in the time of old age. Forsake me not when my strength is spent. Or then again in Psalm 71, verses 17 and 18. O God, from my youth you have taught me, and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. So even to old age and gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those to come. That, I think, is the most definitive argument for why I would answer the question, when is David praying Psalm 70? Well, for at least a second time, he's praying this prayer almost verbatim, like he did back when his former king that he submitted under, King Saul, was chasing after him, trying to kill him. So when in his older age did he have people seeking his life, trying to kill him? And we we don't have to guess, we know. His own son, Absalom, later on in his life, when he's actually the king, King Saul's already dead. Again, he had the same events happen later on in his life. And so then, I think what we have here is a repeated prayer to show that these same events happened in David's life, two times people trying to kill him, and two times he prayed almost the exact same prayer. Old man who prays a prayer more than once. Holy impatience is what I'm trying to get you to think about and do. To be holy in your impatience. If Psalm 70 and Psalm 71 should be read together and David's praying this again when he's an old man. And one little final detail before we think through how this applies to us. Notice that not only is there a connection between 70 and 40, but Psalm 71 begins this way, to the choir master of David, for the memorial offering. That phrase, for the memorial offering, is a fine translation. It's about remembering something. So there's like this remembering memorial kind of offering, which is what this word is. But the thing I want to point out is that this word appears, this title, one other time. It's in Psalm 38, which is right at the very end of book one of the Psalms, which are all surrounded when David is running for his life from King Saul. Where are we at or when are we at as we study book two? I would argue that we are at the end of David's life at this point of the Psalms and we're right near the end of book two, meaning book one ends with a certain kind of trajectory or theme or pattern that is repeated later on in David's life, which is why you have the repeat of the same exact prayer, Psalm 40 and Psalm 70, the same repeat of this memorial offering about remembrance that only appears in these two locations. And then you have David transitioning at the end of book one from being just a boy to the king, the end of book two, you have him transitioning from being king to being dead. The end of book one is a certain kind of transition where he turns to God and pray. The end of book two is a different kind of transition where he will then, in Psalm 72, if you look, a song, a, a prayer to Solomon, of Solomon, by Solomon, for Solomon. 
And then at the very end of Psalm 72, if you flip your Bibles over, you'll see the very last line before you get to book three. The prayers of David, the son of Jesse, have now ended. I think there are so many good reasons to realize that Psalm 70 exists here to give us a prayer that teaches us how, as an old man, David had to pray the same thing again and again. I hope that it's already obvious to you what you should be thinking about for your own personal life, your own faith for this church. If there's a repetition in two times in David's life that he had to pray the same things more than once, perhaps holy impatience will teach us to understand that you will have to pray more than once for deliverance. You may pray the exact same thing that you prayed for last week again this week. The same thing you prayed last year again this year. The same thing you prayed 10 years ago again in 10 years. Holy patience, holy impatience that is, understands we need to pray the same things. Unholy, ungodly, just impatience only wants to pray something once. Save, deliver, let's move on. I got the lesson, I received the answer. Let's not do that one again, Lord. James Smith, again, in his book on inhabiting time, says, there is an urgency that comes from a desire to see God's reign realized. That's what we're talking about in Psalm 70. Urgent, desperate prayer. He's affirming that you and I should learn a kind of holy impatience. But Smith warns us, there is another kind of urgency that we manufacture to make ourselves feel needed. He goes on to say, while future hope is characterized by holy impatience, which is where I got this phrase for our sermon, future hope, hoping in your future, produces holy impatient prayers. There should also be something about those kind of people who have hope that are unhurried and patient. However, our frantic busyness so often a practical outworking of our despair, even if we don't know it, because our busyness is a refusal to believe in God. It's a refusal to hope because, functionally, being busy is a refusal to trust and depend on God. And you and I are so urgently and frantically busy, subtly or not so subtly, we assume that everything depends upon us as if we are the ones that uphold the cosmos, or as if the kingdom's arrival depends on me. Do you see the difference between holy, impatient prayers that demands urgent saving and deliverance come quickly, Lord, appropriate, good, right, but it is aiming for God to do it on his timetable for his glory, versus a kind of frantic busyness. God, only help me do what I want to do for my busy life. A refusal to hope in God to bring about the very thing that you're asking, pleading, urgent, desperate for, you can't do on your own and you have to trust and trust him again and pray the same prayer again. 
How many of you are tired of praying the same prayer of forgiveness because you sinned the same way? How difficult is it to see the exact same problem to show up years later? I thought we dealt with this. Some of us in this room have been Christians for 30, 40, maybe 50 years. Most of us in this room aren't even 30 years old. Therefore, we have little idea what David is experiencing as he comes to the end of his life and has to go through all of it all over again as an older, weaker, desperate man. Perhaps, unlike the kingdoms of this world, we should value older, wiser members and saints of this church. We should esteem those who have years and years of wisdom so that we can sit at their feet and listen to them share about God's faithfulness. Listen to them talk about what it's like to pray for the same thing that they prayed for in their 20s and they're still praying for it in their 70s. The salvation for a family member or friend. Not giving up. Praying urgently with holy impatience. God, save them now. Praying hopefully, confident that God is good, that his salvation is great and that he will deliver an answer in his right time and way. Brothers and sisters, those of us who are 40 or younger, myself included, I believe we need to be instructed by those who have gray hair. Esteem them, not think that the main thing we should do with old age is get rid of it. Deny it. But that's what the world wants us to do with all of its cosmetics and anti-aging kinds of ways to deal with old age. We have made an idol of youth, and therefore, we have not learned holy impatience. We're just impatient. So, brothers and sisters, sit at the feet of David, not just today from Psalm 70, but come back again next week, and let's pray these prayers and hear these themes again. In fact, coming back to church is a great way for you to reset the disorientation of when you are. Setting the tone every week with gathered worship will create a kind of rhythm of time of thinking this is how my schedule works. We come and we pray with God's people and we hear prayers from those who are older and younger than us. We gather in a corporate diverse body of people and sit at their feet and listen and learn, especially as we unfold God's word to one another. I think it is important for each of us to consider in what way we need to ask the question, when are we? When are you right now? What season of life are you in? How does that bring in and of itself its own gifts and contributions to the body? And how can we as a church be set right in the broken clocks that we have in our disorientation of being changed and transformed by time according to the world's standards of when something should happen, of how quickly it should come. So let's conclude with this wonderfully, gloriously hopeful promise. How can David pray this way? 
I think it's because he has confident hope in God's deliverance. Look again down at verse 2. Let them be put to shame and confusion who seek my life. This is verse 2 of Psalm 70. Let them be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. We noticed that that phrase connected with verse 1, make haste to deliver me, make haste to help me, is repeated in Psalm 71 in verses 12 and 13. Oh God, be not far from me. Oh my God, make haste to help me. May my accusers be put to shame and consumed with scorn and disgrace and may they be covered who seek my hurt. Twice then, in Psalm 71 and Psalm 72, you have David saying, come, come quickly, do it with haste. Do it for this reason, for those who are trying to disgrace me and put me to shame. May they be disgraced. But look at the way Psalm 71 ends as a little preview for our study in this psalm next Sunday. Verse 24. And my tongue will talk of your righteousness, your righteous help, all the day long. For they have been put to shame and disappointed. Same exact word as confused that you find in Psalm 70, verse 2. Who sought to hurt me. Before Psalm 70 and 71 end, you get a clear promise of God's deliverance. Which is why verse 23 and 22, that last little paragraph, is all about joy and singing praises and shouting for joy because David has been already now redeemed. Is that true of you? When you ask the question, not just where am I, but when am I? Do you rightly answer like every Christian should? When am I? Already now seated in the heavenlies, already now sons and daughters of the king, already now receiving the promise of there is therefore now no condemnation for my sins, already now redeemed, already, right now, as we sit here, when am I? I'm saved, delivered, I'm helped. I'm not waiting for deliverance, I have already received deliverance. When am I? Already, but not yet. In the same way that David can look confidently into the future with hope, you and I can know already that we're saved, redeemed, and sing with joy and not yet. Remember that you live between the times of the already and the not yet. That's the answer of when are you. That's where we are when we are. So brothers and sisters, I give to you the most important concept regarding time in the Bible. Learn to set your clock regarding your life to God's time. The already now and the not yet. And on the basis of that, we should pray, come Lord Jesus, come quickly, do it now. We still need saving. We still need deliverance. We've received much, but we need more. That guides all of our praying. It's holy praying for what God and God alone can do. We will not usher and bring down New Jerusalem. God has to just 
come and make this world new. And as long as kingdom come has not come, we keep praying with holy impatience. So let Psalm 70 and Psalm 71, for that matter, instruct us in this important temporal lesson of when to pray, how to pray, and let's keep praying again and again. Would you close with me in prayer now? Father in heaven, thank you for your word and its instruction and its gift to us to set right our disorientation of when we are in this world. In one sense, we might say, as the world would have us say, we are on this day in human history, Sunday, January 29th, 2023, the year of our Lord, but in a much greater sense, we give you praise and we give you thanks that we are in the day of resurrection. Every Sunday is Easter Sunday. Every Sunday is resurrection day. We thank you that time works different in your word and we pray that we would reorient ourselves with the truth of the already now resurrection power of deliverance from death as we hear the gospel week in and week out and we pray that we would be the kind of people that have hope to keep turning to you time and time again and asking, come Lord, come quickly, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. And so we pray that with all of our hearts because we love your salvation. It is great because you are great. So, oh Lord, we are tired of waiting. How long, O oh Lord, till you come? Our hearts lament and our hearts rejoice. And we pray that we would be the kind of people that know how to do both. Because we know when we are already, but not yet. Already we rejoice, not yet we lament. So come, Lord Jesus, how long, O oh Lord, come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.